Ulterior. I feel like Gent is a genre, but we will save that debate for another time, another episode. Um, so there was no episode last week, and what I kind of feel like uh, detailing right now to you guys is that in an instance like that where I don't believe I have a reason to do an episode when there is a lack of material from bands then I just won't. And so what I ended up doing instead was like kind of stacking the past two weeks and then having that be what is reviewed and covered and whatnot. So yeah, that's just going to be that. Um, if you hear noise in the background, my cat Historia is eating. Please don't mind her. She's just doing what she has to do. Um, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and move into the material for this week. So we have brand new singles from the likes of Yumi at Six, Paramore, Pierce the Veil, and a few others I want to get through. It's a really big week, actually, or two weeks, rather. And then brand new records by Keepsake, Polar, and The Wise Man's Fear. Thanks so much for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Other than listen to everything I had to for this episode and review shit, the other thing that consumed me this past weekend was the NFL's wildcard weekend, and there was some crazy bullshit going on there, like, for real, for real. Um, I have no idea why I continued to watch the game between the Jaguars and the Chargers after the second half, because the Jaguars' first half performance was some of those pitiful shit I've ever seen in sports. Just absolutely astonishing. And then the second half was equally astonishing for a different reason. And I I don't want to bet against Jaguars in any way. I think they're amazing right now. Trevor Lawrence is him. They've got something going. Yeah, four picks in the first half. But what they did afterwards, that is just generational, to say the least. Um, and, and then like Bengals and Bills and everybody else kind of doing their thing while showing holes in their game. I feel like even though I just watched Cowboys beat, uh, the Buccaneers, Dak Prescott's game also isn't really, really where it should be, especially going against Brock Purdy and the Niners. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to with the NFL coming up in the next few weeks. And I'll probably end up talking about all of it. Um, something that I will not be talking about, but I at least want to mention now because, I saw it on Twitter, and it's a thing, and I don't really feel like ignoring it, given what it means. Um, so without naming any names, there is a band who either just put out a single, or they're about to put out a single, and attached to that is a record announcement. And they have a piece of merch on sale, or pre-order, whatever, I don't fucking know, of a um, a hospital bracelet that is decorated with like their logo and namesake and that sort of shit. Um, yeah, don't do that. Like, don't glamorize mental health or hospital stays, anything of that sort. You guys are like fucking 30 or almost 40, aren't you? Like, you should know better, but I guess you should know better is not an applicable statement given what you have put yourself in last year or so. So, yeah, um... If you know what I'm talking about, whatever. If you don't know, whatever. Let's just move on. 
So that's my way of segueing into the brand new singles for the weekend. There's a few I want to get through. The first being the number one ranked song for Scenic Overlook last week, and that is My Dopamine by Yumi at six. So Yumi at 6 have a record coming out pretty soon. It's called Truth Decay. I believe the date initially for it was either January 20th or 27th. And I was really, really excited for that. I still am excited for the album, but the date has been pushed to February 10th. The same February 10th that has This Is Why by Paramore and The Jaws of Life by Pierce the Veil. So that is an incredibly stacked day for myself. But I feel like Yumi at six, they're going to get shafted. They're going to get the shitty end of this because look at who they are theoretically competing against that day. Fucking Paramore and fucking Pierce the Veil. I am not listening to Yumi at six record first that day. I don't know if it's Paramore or Pierce the Veil, but it's not Yumi at six. And I feel like fucking bad and angry at myself for saying that because... What Yumi at 6 have done for the cycle for Truth Decay is, is such a step above from where they were at on Sucker Punch. I feel like Sucker Punch was, in all honesty, like a really forgettable record. I was going to say bad, but I don't know if it was bad, but definitely not memorable or extraordinary or exciting in any way. Truth Decay has been the antithesis of that. Truth Decay has fucking delivered on every front for this cycle and the album, or singles rollout rather. And My Dopamine is another layer to what is making Yumi at 6 so special right now and so pivotal for myself and my fandom just in terms of how this song is able to relay and convey its themes about love to me it's reminiscent of what maybe say bring me the horizon did on follow you in terms of just how like it's a very in some ways like demented song and it's not like so comfortable to listen to in some aspects yet everything wraps together and that malevolent and sometimes weird disturbing nature becomes beautiful and it's a very weird thing that Yumi at 6 managed to morph with this track and it is something that I think very much so succeeds at giving Yumi at 6 even more character and definition and this is a band that you know however many years into their tenure so far they can still put out heater after heater and they can still be that fucking band and they have a chance to show that to the world on February 10th. There is a brand new Classic Jack single, it is called Blue Dream. I don't think I understand yet exactly who Classic Jack are, and I don't have the information to let you guys know who they are. But what I will say is that whenever I hear something new from them, I am reminded why they are like within my vision every single time that they are active. I remember finding them on the song Feel Something back in 2021, and just from that moment, understanding that there was something very unique to the presentation of Classic Jack and the way that they can kind of balance the soft and heavier ends of post-hardcore 
It's very evident in Blue Dream that this band carries with them some really, really sick abilities and some cool ideas that need to be heard by more people. Blue Dream, it finds that comfort zone where in the verses, it's like so emotional and very like warming in a way. And then once you get to the chorus and it kind of explodes and there's just like screams and heavier instrumentation, it is this incredible package that I think is able to... I don't want to say cement Classic Jack right now, but at the very least, make me believe that a extended project by them, whether that be an EP or a full length, could really, really make some fucking noise in the scene. So because this happened towards the end of 2022, I haven't really had the chance on this show yet to mention the comeback of Casey, but I have that opportunity right now because of the new single from them called Atone. For anybody who might not know about KC, and it's probably a good number of you guys because I don't believe that they actually had like a ton of notoriety, nor that they received their flowers in their initial run. Um, KC formed in like 2013 or 14, I believe, and they uh, ran up until 2019. They had an album in 2016 called Love Is Not Enough, and if I like, really, really thought about it, Love Is Not Enough might be, like, at the very least, like, a top 50 or 40 record of the last decade for myself. I think that album really put Casey on a pedestal when it comes to the world of post-hardcore and just how well they're able to navigate that style. With Atone, which is their second single back so far, they are continuing to ride that wave and I don't want to say do it better than before because I don't know if I really, really feel that way right now, but the production on, on a tone, the way that they were able to craft this very somber and emotional song that is still like ferocious in its own right, that is a testament to the abilities within Casey and again, how they have not lost a step from where they were prior. Um, there's a lot to look forward to with Casey for whatever they're going to do for the rest of this year. And I hope you guys and everybody else in the scene taps in because when Casey are dominating, they are fucking magnificent. One of the biggest albums of the year releases February 10th, and that is The Jaws of Life by Pierce Vale. There is a new single from them called Even When I'm Not With You. So I got into a couple of fights on the internet last week because of this song, and I took the stance that this song is incredible, and even if it is very, very, very different for Pierce the Veil, I don't know if anybody can really be, like, setting expectations for what the Jaws of Life is going to sound like, because Pass Nirvana and Emergency Contact, I don't believe those songs really dove into the patented and signature style of Pierceville. I don't think any single so far has been, uh, you know, attached to the label per se that people would expect to hear out of Pierceville. Even when I'm not with you, it's very 
slow and somber while having this production element to it that makes it sound like um very like incomplete in a way but i say incomplete with the understanding on my end that i believe this song is immaculate and there is a lot of versatility being shown by Pierceville on this record cycle and i am like as big a fan right now of what they're doing as i've ever been I enjoy hearing this side of the band. I enjoy getting to understand just how fucking far and wide their range for the Jaws of Life seems to be as of now. And even when I'm not with you is another notch on what is, for my opinion so far, a flawless cycle and a flawless rollout. So to continue on about February 10th, I just mentioned Pierce the Veil and earlier I got to talk about Yumi at 6. The third band with the record that day is Paramore, and they're dropping This Is Why. There's a new single out called Sekumsa. To accurately describe what I think about this song and at large Paramore as of right now, there was a tweet that I saw when Sekum Sal released that said something along the lines of, Paramore have released three singles that sound nothing like Paramore while sounding like Paramore. That's not a bad way to sum this up, I think. Sekum Sal is just insanely fucking catchy. Like, even if for whatever reason you don't fuck with the sound of Sekum Sal, that chorus is not going to leave your brain. And just hearing Sekum Saw over and over again, like, that shit is rent-free right now. And I feel like it's going to be for a while. Um, in my opinion, Sekum Saw is the kind of song that further relays that pop-centric style of Paramore that people really should be expecting to hear more out of when it comes to This Is Why. It is probably my second favorite of the singles right now. I like it more than Tower Track. I definitely do not like it more than The News, though. I think The News is still, like, the standard for This Is Why. But as far as Sikkim Saw goes, there is nothing about this song's energy or delivery that turns me away from This Is Why. I think Paramore have something special going on here. And even if I end up not believing that this is better than After Laughter or Self-Titled, that's not really the point. The point is that we're getting Paramore in 2023, there's enough material for me to be excited for them, and I mean, like, the quality of everything is really there. I am a big fan of Sikkim Saw. I'm a big fan of This Is Why. I'm a big fan of Paramore right now. They are at the top of the game as they've always been. There is a new album coming out soon by Aaron Shikari. I'll get into the details shortly, but I want to introduce a brand new single, Please Set Me On Fire. The album is titled A Kiss for the Whole World and it releases April 21st. Almost exactly three years following Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And I just feel like so much has fucking happened since then. And I mean that because like that record released about a month into the pandemic and I have so many good and bad memories associated with that record. So to have a new cycle for Anna Shikari and be given material that can kind of 
I don't want to say erase what happened back then because I did enjoy that record, but kind of like give me new memories for Enshikari. That means a lot to me because I think Enshikari is a band that if somebody were to put them on like the scene Mount Rushmore, I would not be upset about that. I might not agree with it on my own end, but I could not fault somebody for believing that Enshikari is one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, with Please Set Me on Fire, you have a, a lot of what has cemented this band as being legends in the scene. The way that they're able to kind of take that electronic style and just morph it in a way that is not only unique to themselves, but is so like, um, like, uh, I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase it. Nobody can copy this style. Nobody can even try to base a sound off of what Inner do and call it like inspiration per se. Inner Shikari have this mold that only they fit into. And you can hear that all throughout the instrumentation on Plip Semi on Fire. The way that the chorus kind of explodes, uh, Rue Reynolds' voice is as just enchanting and commanding of attention as it always has been. Um, I also really want to point out the artwork for A Kiss for the Whole World and how it draws comparisons to A Flash Flutter of Color, which was the Enerskari album from 2012, where you have this, like, beaming, neon sort of an entity mixed in with nature, and it kind of just shows, like, this progression and evolution for the band, and I, I think that is just, like, this real, uh, like, gem of a piece to the art artistry on the part of Enshikari and the masterful nature of their craft and everything about this band is just worth celebrating and I hope everybody who may not yet understand the importance of Enshikari can understand what this band means to all of us on April 21st. Let's talk about Sleep Token because I feel like there's a lot I can say. Probably won't get to all of it right now but one day Shortly soon, I will waffle about this band and so many layers to them. Um, that was a very verbose way of me introducing the new single called The Summoning. This is my first time bringing up the name Sleep Token since I reviewed This Place Will Become Your Tomb back in September 2021. Maybe my most regrettable review I've ever done. And when I have a more of an opening to talk about Sleep Token, I'll get into why I say that was regrettable. But as far as what the band is doing right now, they had two singles out at the start of the year, Chokehold and Summoning. I chose to talk about the summoning because I feel like that song gave me more of this mindfuckery experience when it came to being put through every stylistic change that is present within the summoning. This song spends a lot of its first half being this like very powerful and anthemic metal song that I didn't find to be like drastically different from anything prior by sleep token but i think the ideas explored here were more well executed on the summoning than they were at large on both this place will become your tomb and sundowning and then the song kind of breaks into like this like 
instrumental interlude section of sorts, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool, like, it sounds great. And then you get into the next section of the song, and it practically becomes like a funk song. Like, it has that kind of an energy to it. Very uh, vibrant bass line. Just something that was, like, so out of left field and unexpected. And I don't know how much more material by Sleep Token this year will sound like that. But just for the summoning, this was such a nice surprise. I thought this fucked. This was incredible. I also really enjoy the art style direction for the singles on both the summoning and chokehold. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if anybody would remember this or even know about it, but there was a Wii game called Mad World, and the entire direction artistically was done in black and white. That's what this reminds me of, and so that's able to kind of like make this extra attachment between myself and what Sleep Token are doing right now, and mixing that in with everything that I said about the summoning, this band has something. They really, really do. It's something that I don't think was there in any of their endeavors prior, and it's very, very exciting to get to say that Sleep Token is a band that I am excited for in the future of. This was a heavy singles week. I got one more to get through, and that is When You're Gone by Acres. There's a train in the distance, and I could just wait for it to pass by, but I'm on a roll right now, and so I'm going to keep going. Fuck that train. Just let me cook. Um, Acres. So, I've been able to mention them a few times since last summer, uh, back when they had released Burning Throne as a single, and the album Burning Throne is now set to be released on March 3rd. I think with... Uh, Acres, they are able to channel this style that is a pretty clear evolution from where they're at on Lonely World, which is a 2019 album. I really, really like Lonely World, and so far, I like all the singles for Burning Throne. I think what When You're Gone does is it kind of establishes this new album as, like, a very safe bet for the year for the scene. And what I mean by that is... When You're Gone doesn't really take too many chances in its delivery and its style. It is honestly a straightforward, like, alt-metal song, hard rock, whatever you want to call that shit. But Acres are able to do it in a way that is, like, just so effective and adds more layers to their sound that I think is just ever-growing. And it feels like Acres continue to find a good base for themselves and... What is, what is it, Armin? You want to hear me talk about Acres? He wants to hear me talk about Acres. Um, I'm wrapping it up, though, so you're kind of light, little bro. Um, Acres, very exciting. Mark Stir, the new album, Burning Throne. I genuinely cannot wait to talk about that because I feel like this could be like a real sleeper hit and a real hidden gem for a lot of people in the scene this year. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Pressure by Aviva. One More Time by Beneath My Feet, As You Die by Bloodbather, Tombstone by Circle Nine, Death Magic by Enterprise Earth, Headstone by Graphic Nature, Hollow by Grumster, Mind Reader by Hell the Sun, Ex Negativo by Half Me featuring Marcus Lundvist, Cool Blue by Happy Days, 
Grave of the Fireflies by Lucrecia featuring Pale Dusk. This is Forever by Nova Cup featuring Russell Lissak. Elder King by Osaya. Pity by Party. Zagreus by Periphery. Choco by Sleep Token. Velvet Enemy by Telly. The House I Lived In by Will Wither. And Paid My Dues by Young Pinch. So there were two songs that I just went with a 3-4 for the score. Uh, Riot Music by Dropout Kings. This really, really didn't do much for me. And that's a shame because I think Dropout Kings have done some great work before. Glitch Gang was like a top 10 EP for myself in 2020. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, maybe they kind of lean too much into like the, like that carefree, fun party style for Metalcore. I, I don't really know how else to phrase it. And I'm sure there's a better way that I could. But Riot Music just really, really didn't do anything extraordinary for myself. Um, there was also Wildfire by Periphery. So Periphery announced a new album. I think it's called Jensen. It's not a genre. I think that's what it's called. I don't remember entirely. Um, Jen is totally a genre, by the way. Uh, so those two songs, uh, Wildfire and Zagreus, they're like seven or eight minutes long each. And I thought Wildfire did not utilize that runtime effectively. It does get kind of stagnant and boring at times. I didn't feel the way about Zagreus, which is why I was way more high on that track. But Wildfire itself, just not something that was able to keep my attention for that long of a span. And then I gave a two out of five to Let Go by Scarlet O'Hara. Scarlet O'Hara, they are not hooping at all with these singles. I just don't really understand like what direction this band is taking. And I say that as somebody who was really into Welcome to the Brodeo, but what they've been doing so far last year, whatever it's been, not it. Just fucking straight up not it at all. So now I'll get into the records from last week. There are only three to get through, but... They have some pretty big talking points, potentially. Um, I'm actually going to start off with my favorite of the releases last week, and that was the brand new EP by Keepsake called There's Only Art Left of Us Now. Something about Keepsake that I feel is important to the history and the lore of Alterior as an entire podcast is that their prior EP, Slow Burn, was one of the first EPs that I ever reviewed back when I started doing weekly episodes two years ago. So to be able to get to this point and have another EP from them to talk about, that's special. Like, really, really, guys, that actually does mean a lot to me. And something about keepsake that i find to be so enjoyable is how they're able to do what say a band like static dress has been able to do for me and even foreign hands for that matter in terms of being able to provide nostalgic sounds while still pushing post-hardcore forward into the future and that is so important to my adoration and enjoyment for the genre in this day and age and with all that, I do have to bring up a, like, a little bit of a fuck-up on my end. Kind of embarrassing, but it is what it is to be what it be. So, um, Scenic Overlook, for you guys who may not know, is something that I do weekly where I rank my 10 favorite new songs of the week. I'm going to say that again. My 10 favorite new songs. 
I put Stargazing by Keepsake at number five this week. Stargazing came out last July. And what's fucked up is that I reviewed it in July last year. So I've had this song with me for months and months now, yet I registered it as a new song. And that's my mistake, my error. I will have to go on Twitter and Instagram into the Scenic Overlook post and make the correction that Promise Knots is a song that I really meant to be represented there because Promise Knots is able to do what um, Blur Me Out was able to do as well as a single. And uh, again, just kind of give me these sounds that would have been like very, very prominently placed on my MySpace page while giving me like so much excitement and enjoyment when it comes to what this genre can bring forth in the coming months and years. I think Keepsake have something very special to their delivery. Every song is able to maintain this very chaotic energy while still being emotional, while still being very charging in all the right ways. I think Keepsake have an EP here that really gives a strong case for why they're a band that people who are into post-hardcore should really be paying attention to if they're not already. Um, there's a song on here called Dusk that provides the biggest break from the EP's structure in its first verse that has like a slower pacing to it. And that section is able to show me that there is range within Keepsake. Like, they're not one-dimensional at all. They don't just have, like, one setting when it comes to post-hardcore. That being, like, just straight up go, 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 you know? They are building up this trust within me very quickly. And I have no reason to doubt anything that they're going to be doing beyond there's only art left of us now. When I look at this EP, I don't necessarily see it as, like... The cementing of Keepsake's status in the scene, I think this EP combined with what they did prior on Slow Burn, you are getting this foundation building that if everything lines up the way that I hope it does, when Keepsake have like a full length to their name, I can only imagine how incredible it's going to sound, how game-changing it can be, how riveting I expect it to sound. There's a lot to be excited for when it comes to Keepsake, and they're a band that, if you at all define yourself as a fan of post-hardcore, you need to hear them if you haven't already. There's something to them, there's so much potential within them, and I would really, really enjoy people to be able to enjoy them. Let me take some time now to talk about the brand new Polar album, Everywhere, Everything. So this review might be where my mentality as like an old, jaded metalcore fan can really shine through, which is not something that I take any sort of pleasure in, but it's going to happen. So fuck it. Let's just do it. Um, I don't think this album is bad. I'm going to say that now. I really, really don't. I respect the choices made by Polar here. I understand like where they're coming from and who their inspirations are and what they were really going for on everywhere everything 
I just don't believe that in most areas they deliver. And I feel like I've kind of been expecting that because the singles rollout for this album expands all the way back to last year and I reviewed Dissolve Me and God and Heathens and Burn back when those were singles and what I think I was able to kind of see from back then was that Polar don't necessarily match up with what I am interested in nowadays for metalcore. I think the sound they go for is not even like a safe play of a sound. It is very um, simple and like not extraordinary. It doesn't take any chances. It doesn't push any boundaries. And I don't need metalcore to necessarily do that and be groundbreaking. Something that I said before is that if you're going to have a style that is very ubiquitous, just do it well. And I don't really know if Polar did it well in many portions of this album. Because I can hear a song like Dissolve Me and it just sounds like almost lifeless in some ways. Like the vocals, they don't really have this standout nature to them. The instrumentation is like so generic in terms of how many fucking styles of metalcore I've heard go through this avenue before. And I feel the same way about, you know, everything else I've been saying when it comes to like the greatest sin or deliverance. It's just not exciting. It's nothing that I can really attach myself to. And again, I don't want to be negative and say anything really, really disparaging. But if I'm keeping it a stack and being fully honest with you guys, and that's all I ever want to do is just be honest on here. I don't find many areas of this album to be exciting. I think with tracks like The Winds of Change and Rush, you kind of get glimpses. And those songs in their own right are good. But maybe throughout my time listening to Everywhere Everything, my mind was like kind of clouded by the amount of, for lack of a better way of really putting it, and a lack of a nicer way of saying it, a lot of mid. And that really did hinder my enjoyment of the album in a lot of ways. So that, in turn, makes the closing song mean all the much more in the world to me. The Baptism of Fire was the most surprising song I heard last week, because after getting through, you know, a bunch of songs that are like either just borderline good or just kind of boring, Baptism of Fire being as amazing as it sounds was very much so needed on my end to really cap off this album and have this journey like really mean something to me by the end of it. I think Baptism of Fire does a very outstanding job at taking the like very emotional and moving and melodic elements of metalcore and mix them in with this heavier style that Polar really tried to engage in all the way throughout Ever Everything. And not until Baptism of Fire did it like really flourish and did it really make sense to me for Polar to have the stylistic aspirations that they seem to have. Baptism of Fire is an excellent fucking song, a perfect closer. And I was able to be really excited about the song by the end of Everywhere Everything because, again, I was really just eager to hear something like this when listening to the album, and I got it, and God, it is fucking incredible to say the least. And in turn, I found myself returning to Baptism of Fire before anything else on the album, and for as much as I am able to enjoy Baptism of Fire, it doesn't 
really make the overall experience of ever everything better. It just kind of adds to, god damn, Levi, you're fucking eating loud, dog. Holy shit. Um, I lost my entire train of thought. I was talking about baptism of fire. I know that. Um, I think I was saying that it didn't really make the entire album better. It just kind of made the ending stretch better. I think that's what I was going for. Anyway, this review is fucking out of line now. Um, my point is that everywhere, everything was just kind of hard to get through at times because of how much stuff blended with each other, how boring some of it was in my opinion. And it's not going to be an album that I return to very often, if ever again, but Baptism of Fire, that song fucking rules. Like genuinely for real, for real, that song is amazing. And I would love for that to be kind of the building block of sorts for Polar moving forward, because with that sound and style, they can turn this shit around pretty easily, I would say. And for the final record of the day, it is Atlas Ruinica by The Wise Man's Fear. I do not know if the wise man's fear coined the term fantasy core, if, there were, if that was something that their fans did or maybe another band did. I'm not so well versed in the realm of fantasy core, but I do admire it. I do respect the fuck out of it. Um, there was this uh, little excerpt I found on the internet about Atlas Ruinica and the story that it tells. And it reads as Atlas Ruinica follows the story of protagonist Elise Lancet as she pulls on loose threads in an attempt to discover the truth behind her uncle's mysterious death, along with the book he spent his last days obsessing over, the fabled Atlas Ruinica. Let him cook. Genuinely for real, for real. Like, that's sick. I, I really love when records like this are able to ground themselves in lore that even if I don't have the full grasp of, and I don't fully understand the concept of Atlas Ruinica, I think bands incorporating elements of fiction with their music is just so, so cool. And it's something that I would do myself probably if I was a musician. But when it comes to the actual like musical style of The Wise Man's Fear, it's metalcore that I feel is able to... Breathe life into the genre in some ways that maybe it's missing, or at the very least, it's like in some kind of a need of. And I, I guess what I mean by that is there are some elements of Atlas Ruinica that kind of transport me back to like the early 2010s era of Rise and Fearless Bands, and that is something very special for myself because I admired so much of the scene at that time. And there's this like nostalgic element that will always invigorate me. And I think specifically on the opening songs here, Tailspin and Where the Sky is Empty, 
those two tracks really, really give me that sensation, especially the chorus on Where the Sky is Empty and how on that song you get like this electronic blending in the instrumentation and that puts me in this really calming headspace and I think those two songs provided this incredible opening stretch of back-to-back tracks. When you get into the rest of Atlas Erenica, I feel like from the stretch of slumbering world all the way through the rival each song is still good but compared to tailspin where the sky is empty i I feel like those songs are missing some of the intangible elements that make a song take on life beyond just being good and again i understand that these tracks have like very uh, deep story roots and deep lore roots that I am not so privy to, but just looking at this from the point of a consumer and somebody who primarily reviews music based off of how it sounds and how it makes me feel, the songs are like not hitting as well as I believe they could. Um, there were two other songs, Maze Runner and Sea of Fire. I, I think those two songs embody the lower points on Atlas Serenica. They, they sound kind of, at the very least in comparison to the songs I've been guessing up, they sound kind of boring. And I don't enjoy saying that about this album because I think that there is potential and promise shown. But I just could not really find reasons to connect with those songs in this manner that is even on the same surface as Tailspin and Where the Sky is Empty. I I do think that by the time you get to Solomon's Gate, the closing track, the ideas presented throughout Alice Veronica that I found to be really enjoyable, they're able to be tied together really well there, and by the end of the journey, I felt like I had experienced something that is, like, base-level good. It's an album that gave me some really exciting moments and moments that I have gone back to so many times since I first heard Alice Veronica, and I would imagine that I'm going to go back to them very regularly throughout the rest of the, the, the weeks and the months and the years to come. But at large, I listened to Alice Veronica, and again, maybe like having the full comprehension of the storyline would really help, but just in terms of like what the music did for me, it's good but just good and maybe at points you know dipping a little bit below good but then at points maybe transcending good so i think the wise man's fear have uh a lot of potential and there's definitely reason for me to continue to pay attention to what they're doing and reason for me to get on this microphone whenever they do something else when it comes to like singles or album rollouts whatever it is they're going to be doing for the future I have reason to care. And that's all I was looking for. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. And I hope that you guys were able to enjoy it, even if it was, you know, not super eventful in comparison to how some episodes have been. But, you know, I really did want to set aside the time to do this episode because I don't know how many other platforms, if you will, would be letting you guys know about 
keepsake or classic jack or you know whatever else i talked about that wasn't like so out there in the mainstream compared to like paramore or pierceville or whoever else so yeah um i hope that paid off and i hope that you know was able to kind of uh let you guys know about stuff that maybe you didn't know and that's kind of the whole point of the podcast in a way like i'm not just here to review you know the shit that everybody else is going to i'm here to let you guys know about stuff that maybe was not so apparent or surface level to you so if at the end of an episode you can take away a song or a band or a record that you didn't know about beforehand that means that i did my job my unofficial self-imposed job thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode stay tapped in and as always for the love of the game let's make a scene